Well, thank you so much, beautiful mamas, for being here tonight. I know we're heading into kind of the end of the year and all the activities and concerts and oh, everything that goes along. It's so exciting when kind of the school year begins to wind down and you think you can maybe sleep in and the lazy days of summer where starting to have visions, you know, of what that might be. So I really appreciate you being on tonight. Last week, let's see that first slide, Z. Thank you, Z, for just being the, the woman that makes all of this happen up in the, the mountains of Colorado. I come to you from Chevy Chase, Maryland, just about 20 minutes from the White House in Washington, DC. So our lesson today is lesson number five. Does everyone have that little purple manual? Have you been reading it? It's such a great source, a resource of stories and scriptures and links and pictures. And I just love, I think that's one of this, one of the greatest resources I had to teach my children. And there's a just chuck full of little stories and vignettes and short stories and longer stories that you can read your children different ages and little ideas of what you can do, with, you know, younger children, middles, the littles, the, the olders. So let's see this first slide, Z. So last week, I was not here. Uh, uh, um, we talked about the foundation of faith. So we showed, uh, we had these professionally recorded videos in a home studio in Chicago. And, um, and so we have 12 recorded videos. If you ever wanted to teach these classes and you're like, I'm not quite sure I can teach it. You could gather a group of five, six, seven women in your home. The, the all the lessons go uh, from about 20 minutes to about 37, 40 minutes is the longest one, but on an average, they're about 20 to 30 minutes. And then we had discussion questions at the end where you could stop the video and discuss or watch the video, then, you know, go around and, and discuss, but just another a way that you could teach uh, if you wanted to have a cottage meeting or study group in your home. So last week uh, you watched the video of me, and then I think there was some discussion. Thank you for those that were on uh, laying the foundation of faith, what that looks like in the early history of our country and how we build this foundation of faith in our homes today. So we're gonna talk today about the second pillar of liberty. There's there's three pillars that, that make up, you know, the, the ability to maintain liberty and freedom. The second pillar that we're gonna talk about today is virtue. Let's see that next slide. So I wasn't here last week because I was attending in Utah a graduation of my third born or a second daughter, I should really say, uh, Mary Alice. Now, the, the boy there is my 25 year old son, and then Mary Alice is 23. And I just love that picture of me looking up at her and daddy looking at her like, you did it. Now, see these two right here, these two kids of mine, so I have five kids. The oldest is 28, the youngest is 15. Frankie bought a dog a few years ago because he was so lonely in Detroit. He was playing for the Detroit Pistons and we knew that dog would eventually become our dog. So then Mary Alice took over custody of the dog. And then Mary Alice is like, mom, and this little dog, his name is Ralphie. He's an English bulldog. He has a respiratory breathing problems, this breed of dog. And they can't guarantee your dog will be alive if he flies on the plane. So they <laughs> begged me and my husband after the graduation to drive the doggy across the country. So we got home last night. There's little Ralphie, the things that we do for our children. Let's see the next slide. But it was actually kind of fun. And he's the most delightful fellow. So there's my little girl at graduation. Now, 
um, do you recognize this man? Does he look like a Kennedy man? He, those Kennedys have strong genes. It's Tim Shriver. And his sister is the famous Maria Shriver. He was the commencement speaker at uh, my daughter's graduation. And I really liked what he had to say. We know he's from the strong line of the Democratic um, uh, Kennedys. But I mean, his mother was the one who founded the Special Olympics. Her name was Eunice Kennedy Shriver because of the experience that they had with their sister, who was, uh, what was her name, Rose Marie, who had a lobotomy and, and, and never was the same after that because she had some uh, disabilities. And so, you know, his little heart and his mother's heart is leaned towards people with physical and intellectual disabilities. Well, he's started a program called the Dignity Index. And it reminded me a lot of what we're talking tonight with this valor of virtue principle that, you know, virtue is, um, it's not just being morally clean or sexually pure and upright. Certainly that is so much uh, to do with virtue, you know, having a foundation of morality. But it also includes virtuous thoughts and actions and virtues are really attributes of God and qualities of our soul. It, it, you know, these ideas of being virtuous is, is really the way we reflect God's image and, and his likeness. So Tim Schreiber has this um, dignity index and, and he piloted it on the campus of the University of Utah. I think that's why we got him as the commencement speaker and it's going throughout the campuses, teaching um, young people um, the ability that even if we have differences, we can treat each other with dignity because what's the opposite of dignity is contempt. That's certainly, you know, in the Bible, we, that's, that's not how God treated his children. He treated them with, with dignity, even, even the sinner, even the woman taken in sin, you know, go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. And so I just really liked the tone of his talk. It was, it was beautiful. And it reminded me a lot of what we're talking about today that, uh, you know, these attributes of God, really virtue, virtuous, uh, uh, different virtues that we emulate are some of the most important things that we will teach our children. Now, you know, you've heard me say this, you are going to be the best teacher that your children will ever have and your, it will be your example that will be a beacon to them throughout their life because you set the pattern and you mold uh, their destiny by what they see you do. You know, I just think of my sweet little mama. I mean, we came, I'm a, I'm a product of a divorced home. My father left when I was 14 years old and, and her life was hard. She had nine children, but you know, she was always steadfast and faithful and generous with, we were poor, we were on food stamps and welfare, but she always had people over and she would sit them down and, and share what, what, um, we had with them, and uh, I consider her to be the most profound influence in my life. The most godly woman was just that humble little, by worldly standards, average woman that was just stock full of virtuous attributes of God. And so today, we're going to talk about uh, these ideas and, and actually share some books uh, and, and uh, and little stories that I would recommend because one of the best ways to teach virtuous principles is through story and through example, because that helps the children to internalize 
what the virtue looks like and um, and also gives you a great chance to spend time with your kids. So let's see that next slide, Z. So this is my, let's see, this is my, okay, so we're talking about the pillar of virtue. Let's see the next slide. So this is my uh, boy who is 19 years old. He's serving a church service mission, teaching uh, the attributes of God to the people of Las Vegas. And he's, it's just the cutest thing. One year ago, uh, one and a half years ago, let's see the next slide. He was a senior in high school. And on the first day, <laughs> I took a picture still, you know how you always take a picture of the first day of school. So here, here he's a senior. What a difference one year can make. A year ago, it was the first day of school and we had such a busy summer and everyone had kind of gone various places. And now we're all back my uh, 18 year old son, this was a year and a half ago, and my 15 year old daughter, he's six four. And um, I said, honey, before you come out, let's come leave for school, sit down, I want to read you this book about uh, Tuskegee University, me and my husband had just come back from Alabama, and, and studied that great university that Booker T. Washington, who is just a hero in our home, founded. And uh, so I read him the story of, of Booker T and the founding of Tuskegee University in Alabama. And we talked about, you know, also um, George Washington Carver. Do you know he, who he is? He's a preeminent, preeminent black scientist that taught at Tuskegee. Now Tuskegee is a historically black university and college and, and um, Booker T. Washington was a former slave and he founded this university. So in just about 10 minutes time, I had this little window with my big six four, 18 year old while he was slip, uh, you know, slurping his smoothie that I had made for him. And we talked about these God fearing men and how they had overcome so much and had given back to the black community and to our country and how they were committed to excellence and education and they looked at themselves as victors and not victim and they looked for opportunities to do good not you know reasons or excuses that they had been oppressed and life had been hard uh, as i mentioned I, I don't know about uh carver but booker t washington had been born into slavery and became freed when he was about 11 or 12 uh, when slavery was abolished. And so I honestly felt that morning as we had that little 10 minute discussion, read this little simple little book to my big old boy uh, that I thought, you know what, I can feel good sending my kid off to the public school that he would graduate from. And I think I felt like in my heart that what that little discussion we had that morning was probably more meaningful than anything that was going to occur the rest of that day on that first day of school. So books help to promote virtue and these uh, show these kids what these admirable qualities and attributes look like and what these traits in action look like. Virtue is not hereditary. It has to be fostered. It has to be studied. It has to be earned and learned and you have to, it's not a permanent quality. It's something that has to be cultivated continually. And as mothers and grandmothers, we help to cultivate these virtues in the, in the children by our examples and the, by stories that we hear and we point out certain behaviors. Let's see the next slide. The, the wonderful founding father, Patrick Henry, lived in Virginia. He said, remember, he said, give me liberty or give me death. He um, said, bad men do not make good citizens. And he uh, is famously known for that quote that I men mentioned. And he also talked about how we are the salt to the earth 
And this is an expression and no doubt he got from the New Testament, those beautiful salt and light sermons. And, you know, this whole idea that we are the salt of the earth, what are we preserving? Because salt is a preservative. Um, it, what, what are we enhancing or improving upon or making better for our future generations so they can preserve, continue to preserve and perpetuate what has been given to us through our founders, you know, this nation, these godly laws, strong families. In the 5,000 year leap, let's see the next slide, Z. These, uh, this wonderful book you hear me talk about, and we have a series, uh, it's a 12 week series where we go through these 28 principles and you can watch them, they're all recorded. I think we're gonna teach another live class this fall on these principles and how they pertain to current events today. But the second principle says, and these are all ideas that our founding fathers gleaned from these principles to establish this land, that they knew a free people could not survive under a Republican constitution unless the people remained virtuous and morally strong because the laws that they founded this nation on are godly laws. So only virtuous people can maintain godly laws. And then, um, and, and so I think that's what they were saying. Look, this is what we needed to preserve to, to be the salt of the earth, to preserve this kind of government. And we do that by being good. And then principle three says, look, the, the best way that we're going to ensure that you know we remain morally strong and virtuous is to let's see that next slide to elect virtuous leaders who will uphold godly law you know and and then principle four i haven't put it up there but they knew that the only way this this occurs is if their people are religious a free people cannot survive unless uh, they are religious and that and that is chapter four chapter that's principle four chapter four so just beautiful principles upon which you know and there's beautiful quotes and stories uh, attached to these principles in in this book so what does a virtuous and morally strong citizen look like what kind of social and political policies will they uphold what kind of family values do they maintain and, and, and what kind of, you know, morally strong leaders, what, what kind of uh, godly law do they enact and protect? I mean, these are the kind of people, you know, that, that um, we need to elect. So it, it will ensure a society of uh, virtuous people. And uh, as we're all looking to the godly law upon which this nation was founded. Let's see the next slide. Benjamin Franklin, I love Benjamin Franklin. I need a bust of Benjamin Franklin. I have his little book behind me that we're gonna talk about in a minute. I have not yet to be able to find a bust. My house is gonna look like a museum because I'm getting so many busts of the founding fathers, but I love this father of morality. This is what he was known by. He said, only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. As nations become more corrupt and vicious, they have more need of masters. Do we see that today as we're moving away from God and godly law that we're wanting, you know, instead of looking to God for the answers, we're looking to the government to solve our problems, to give us the checks, to, to put forth programs. I mean, I just think it was so clear. Let's see the next slide during, uh, you know, our, the season of COVID that people were just paralyzed and were afraid to do anything unless, you know, uh, the government uh, gave the green light or the AOK. And, and we see that as we, as we, the further we get away from God, instead of looking to God for uh, solutions and deliverance, we're, we look to man, we look to, to governments and to, to programs. So let's see the next slide. 
in the wonderful book, I hope you all have it, The Promises of the Constitution, where they just like a page, page and a half, little vignettes of, of explaining, you know, aspects of history and stories of virtuous people and, and good historical figures throughout our history. And it talks, um, it weaves the virtue throughout uh, uh, quite a few of the vignettes, right? In the very, very beginning, uh, it talks about how peace and virtue are intertwined, same with freedom and virtue and, and morality. And it talks about General Washington's character and, and the, just the sheer force of his personality, his virtue, they call it his grit, his resolve, his faith is what kept that ragtag continental army together during that miserable uh, eight year revolutionary war. So these vignettes are short and they're easy to read. You can just read a little vignette with a child or a grandchild. They actually have little workbooks for children and for teenagers. You can find them on our Moms for America store that just another uh, resource to uh, be able to point out uh, virtuous uh, founding fathers and mothers throughout history and, and principle. So let's see the next slide. Here is, who do you recognize this lady? J.K. Rowling from Harry Potter. She said, it is our choices that show what we truly are far more than our ability. I, I like her. I particularly like her in the last few years as she has shown her moral courage. I mean, in, integrity and virtue is really having the moral courage to make your actions and your abilities consistent with what you believe and what you say, you know? And, and she has really been on the uh, hot seat in, in recent years as she's come out against transgenderism. And that, that, gets, my that gets my attention when well-known people, she's the highest paid uh, author in, in the history, in, in our history, modern day history. And so she has clout and she has taken a stand for family. And, and I appreciate that. And that is it. That's a virtuous and integritous thing that she's done. Let's see that next slide. I think I put the my little 23 year old Mary Alice during the COVID. This, this is up here. So I just kept it. You can't tell, but she's sitting in her one of her classrooms during COVID couple years ago and everyone is masked up that that girl behind her is her head is down but she has a mask on and and she was so proud to take that picture one day and she's like mom I am not wearing a mask I you know I don't believe that's going to keep anyone any safer she's a healthy girl she's a yoga instructor she eats really clean and she just she so she said that uh, on campus for about a year she was typically the only girl that would sit in the class without a mask on and I just had to really commend her little courage. Uh, you know, I mean, at that point, she was only 20 years old, but uh, she valued the breath of life, she told me. And so she just held her little head high and, and, uh, and went, went around without that little mask. And to me, that's, that's courage. That, that's courage of a young person to go up against your peers. So Theodore Roosevelt said to educate, let's see the next slide there, to educate a person in the mind, but not in morals, is to educate a menace to society. And there's a, a story, uh, let's see, um, the next slide, Z, about the engineers and scientists uh, during the time of Hitler and how they were some of the most intelligent men in Germany but they were not uh, educated enough because they, they went about you know, doing the bidding of Hitler and, and uh, with the experiments and the, the torture chambers and the concentration and the death camps. 
And so, you know, just because a person is educated, if they're not educated in the ways of morality and virtue, that does not mean, <laughs> you know, that they're wise and intelligent, that, that uh, you know, it's, I think it's actually more important to teach your children uh, to educate them in the virtues of God than book learning. Because when you have the spirit of God with you, he increases your discernment and your intelligent goes up, intelligence goes up and you learn better when you have God's spirit with you. And I think some, I, I think moving forward, I think some of the self-study that we can get in the habit of doing will be more beneficial than maybe degrees from universities. So stories are a wonderful way to teach, you know, what not to do, but what to do to teach morals and proper con conduct. And it leaves an impression on the hearts of those that hear it. Let's see the next slide. See, there's a darling little story in the Red Manual entitled The Nobility of a Boy. And I have read this little story to my kids through the years. Even you can see if, if you get in the habit of reading inspiring stories to your children, they'll, they'll sit down at 18, at 6'4", and they'll listen to the stories because you've gotten them in the habit. And what a wonderful thing as a grandmother, you know, ditch all those crazy Disney books and start to build your I Love America stories. So when those little grandchildren come over, you know, and you read them these inspirational stories that they'll, they'll, they'll still, you know, listen to when they get to be 12 and 15 and 16 and 17 stories from, from grandmother. So I've told this story about this young boy, David, who lived in New York City in the early 1900s. And this, you can find this story in the supplemental book, uh, material of the book for lesson number five. So I'd recommend reading this story uh, to your children or grandchildren in the next little while. So David worked as an errand boy at the bank near his home and his father had passed away and he lived with his mother and sister, but they were ill and they couldn't work. So he was the sole support of that little family and every penny he earned uh, went to taking care of them, but they were sickly, uh, the sister and the mother. And one day the doctor came to their home and he told David, if you can't get your mother and your sister to the country for the summer to, and to enjoy and to and, you know, breathe fresh air and sun, they're going to get worse. And I don't know if they can survive the upcoming winter. So David could barely make enough money just to provide for their basic needs, let alone, you know, sending them off to the country and to provide housing. So he was brokenhearted, feeling helpless. So he was working at the, the bank the next day and he was sweeping under a table and he found a big old roll of money and, um, he scooped it up and he headed to the bank president's office to return it when suddenly the thought came to him what he could do with that money. He could send his sister Millie and his mother away for the whole summer and they could get better. And he thought to himself, no one knows that I have this money. He found it on the floor while he was sweeping. So he thought to himself, I'm keep it. So he dropped this wad of bills into his front pocket and he thought for sure as he was leaving the bank that day that everyone could see it protruding out of his little pocket. But all the way home, he fingered that, that wad of bills. And when he uh, went home, he checked on his mother and sister. But an hour later, he found himself walking back to that bank. He shuffled quickly through the front, making his way to the president's office. And he entered the office and he threw that little big roll of bills on the desk. And he uh, said, I found these while I swept, kind of in a cry of pain. And then he fled the office. Well, the next day when David came uh, back to work to do his uh, work, the bank president called him into the office and he said, 
I want to know why you brought that money back last night. He said, I know why you needed that money and what it would have done for your family. No one knew that you had found it. Why did you bring it back? And David leaned over the desk of his president and looked him right in the eyes. And he said, sir, as long as I live, I have to live with myself and I don't want to live with the thief. And then the story goes on to say a few days later, mother and sister Millie and David, they weren't alone. David went with them and they spent the whole summer in the countryside, a gift from the bank to show their deep appreciation of the nobility of that boy. Now, I just want to point out, as I, I've told this story like a lot of times, but it always just gets me in my heart. And if you want to know the truth, when I tell that story to my children, I always cry at the end. And the, the children can feel, you know, the, the depth of my tenderness for this boy who did the right thing when no one would have known. Maybe the bank president put it there. But no one really, you know, would have known what he did. And so, you know, the question that we ask is, how do we get our kids to be like that kid, to be like David, you know, to, to have that kind of honesty and moral courage to do the right thing, even when no one is looking? I want to share with you something that I, I did for probably 15 years with my five kids. So I have five kids. The oldest is 28 now. The youngest is 15. But I have done this for years. Let's see the next slide. There's a little book that I stumbled upon like years ago. I wish I could show you my real book because it's just like bent up and just like barely hanging on. I just used it and used it and abused it. But it's called The Family Virtue Guide. And it lists... 55 virtues like assertiveness, courtesy, determination, flexibility, generosity, joyfulness, modesty, patience, truthfulness, unity, just to name a few. And each little virtue has a little chapter and it gives a little definition of what the virtue is. And then it gives little scenarios of, of uh, they give you and then you have to quiz the kids to say, is this an example of generosity? And, and so it's, it, it takes a whole week. You could spend a whole week. So this is what I would do. Let's see the next slide. I would take one virtue and I'd write the little definition up on just eight and a half by, you know, 11 piece of paper. And so they were looking at it, you know, in the kitchen for the whole week. And then in, a, in um, Kayla found this picture. This is probably Mary Alice, the little girl who graduated is in the orange. She was five years old. So she's 23 now. So that was like... Uh, over let's see five take away 23 so <laughs> I, can't, I can't do math on the spot maybe over 15 years ago but we would read a little story from the bible and then we would go over one of the virtues and I would tell her I would tell the children these are this is how we will become like God it was by emulating these virtues and then we you know go through a little page uh, maybe there's five pages on one virtue and we go through a little page a day it would just take a minute or two and it was kind of fun for them and um and so each week we, I'd post a new little virtue and we would talk about it and so let's see the next slide so last year uh, my boy who's in the NBA, who's a busy guy and has a lot of followers and posts a lot of, you know, stuff. He, um, there's 
Frank's one. He had Frank has a different hairdo about every three weeks. I'm like, oh, so he had his long braids out that, that uh, last year. But um, he went and spent the evening with his uncle's friend who works in a, a little disabled center uh, for with adults. And he spent, he talked to them and he spent the evening with him. And I would have never known about this, but the friend of his uncle, my brother, you understand that, sent me this picture. And when I asked, I texted Frankie because he was in Detroit at this time playing for the Detroit Pistons. And I said, Frankie, I got the cutest little picture. No, he wasn't. Where was he? He was living in Detroit, I think. Anyways, I'm not sure where the center was. I'm not quite sure where the center was. But I said, Frank, I said, what, what is this? And he didn't really have too much to say about it. He was like, oh, it was a sweet night, mom. I had a, a really good time. And he didn't post it on, you know, his social media. He said, I just kind of wanted to keep it on the down low. And I said, honey, this is, makes my heart so happy that you do good and you don't have to let anyone know. Don't have to let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And I think in my mind's eye, all those years of studying those simple virtues of God, planting those seeds in a child's heart of what these virtues look like. And, and, and he was famous for sleeping through the morning devotional as he got older. You can see though, through the little things that they tell you that these virtues took root. And let's see the next slide. Just a few weeks ago, he was back in DC visiting and it was during spring break. And so he went down the street, he's a skateboarder and he, he wanted to buy some skateboards. And at the skateboard shop, they have this ramp so people can try out the skateboards. And he was gone for like two hours and he made some friends at the skateboard shop. These kids were on spring break. And he, he told me, he's like, yeah, I, I spent some time with these young kids. And, and he didn't immediately tell me this, but he said, the little kid in the red, his little shoes were so worn down. There was holes in the bottom and he just gave him, I think he gave him a hundred dollars and said, just go buy some new shoes. And so what I'm saying is I'm bragging on my kids because I certainly can tell you some of the examples of them, you know, me wanting to wring their necks. But as you teach examples of what kindness and and generosity and, and uh, you know, acceptance or tolerance, or, you know, I'm not even saying these virtues correctly, they're beautiful virtues or, or what they are. It, it takes root in their little heart. And um, I love this next, let's see the next slide in chapter four of raising the next generation of patriots. It talks about as you plant these seeds of virtue, however it looks like it, it talks about um, stories teaching, you know, so you could you could actually teach them virtues, you know, in a little devotional or, you know, kind of like I've shown you, or um, you can plant virtue in a child's heart through story. And like I mentioned, stories, you, you take that trait and you wrap that trait uh, inside a story. So it, it gives them a visual of, of what it looks like to emulate that trait. And, you know, it, uh, the fourth chapter here, it says it's not just about reading books together. And there's a lot of value in that, but it's, you know, the, the ability to look them in the eye as you tell the story and for you to have a heart to heart connection and even for them to see you get emotional and to see those little tears well up, it, it, 
it leaves an impression on them. And this kind of thing with a child or grandchild transforms the mother or the grandmother into a trusted guide and confident. And you can feel as you share these sweet little examples through story, it weaves your hearts together and it creates a bond with that child and grandchild that it will be impossible to break. I will never forget, let's see the next um, slide, my little mama sitting uh, in our little humble home on our old couch. I think all of our furniture came from the thrift store and we didn't have air conditioning in our home. We had, uh, we had those fans, you know, that you plug in. And I remember sitting on the couch in the hot summer, but with the fan going and she reading where the red fern grows with the young Billy and his two beloved hound dogs a Dan, a little Anne, or the, I love the boxcar children, how this little orphan family did whatever it took to stay together, even living in a boxcar. And I remember, I remember my mama's voice swelling up with tears when I think it was little Anne that died and, and these tender scenes of love and loyalty and sorrow and triumph in these books and, and the sweet little conversations that we would have together and, and what it meant and, and just being with her. Our children's ability to maintain hope and virtue during tempting times and difficult times in their life is in, is in direct proportion, I believe, to how deep and how broad the reservoir of stories is. A, a heart stock full of virtuous, faithful, and courageous examples will provide solutions for them to draw upon when they hit rocky times in, in their life. Um, shoot, I forgot, I wanted to show you the story that I'm, I'm reading to my 15 year old now. We've been reading this story, it's, uh, it's called Daniel Dawson. And it's a young boy who lived um, during the, the years before the Revolutionary War. It's a three part trilogy. And so I told her we're almost finished. Uh, and, um, and he just now is participating in the Boston Tea Party. And so it's teaching, it's a fictional, fictitious story but it's also teaching history. And I'm telling you, she eats, she listens as I read just a couple of pages every morning. And we've done that all <laughs> throughout her freshman year in high school, a young boy during, you know, the period before the Revolutionary War, as he does have a little sister. And so it's, it's interesting that if you'll just read these stories, start when they're young, they, they, will, they will listen. And, uh, and sometimes she even takes the book when I drive her to school and she'll read it on the way to high school, which is I'm like, oh, wow, all right, this, this is working. Okay, let's see what the scriptures have to say about virtue. Isaiah 520, it says, well unto them that take night for day or light for dark, good for evil, bitter for sweet. And I think as you lay, you know, these ideas of virtue, virtuous principles in their heart, it helps them to see more clearly, to discern good from evil, because Isaiah tells us, you know, that there'll come a time in the world that people will call good evil, and they will call evil good. We see that. And, you know, there, there's a lot of deception. There's a lot of falsehoods and lies and fake news. And, and as you teach them, you know, these principles of virtue, it helps them to see things you know, to have eyes to see clearly. My older girls were telling me how parents don't understand how damning TikTok is because kids are watching it for hours 
and um, and if they click on a certain thing, then TikTok, the algorithms, they they know they keep sending them more and more like-minded, uh, even if they clicked on something one time. And and so they begin to like live in a in a little vacuum or bubble, you know. They they think that's how some of these movements, you know, are are, are false movements are are taking off because parents don't know how impactful TikTok is. This came from my 28 and 23 year old. And so, you know, re rethink how much screen time you allow your children because it's so addictive. You can see how addictive it is just to watch the reels on Instagram, but TikTok is especially damning. Uh, what was that movie that uh, documentary that came out a few years ago about social media and it, even the founders of, of some of you know uh, of some of these social media platforms don't allow their children on them because they know how they have been manipulated to capture and lure you know people in and particularly young people. So just a forewarning there that as you teach your children to discern truth from error. Um, you know, that they'll, they'll be able to recognize when they're being manipulated, but maybe not, you know, and so be mindful of, of, of some of the social media. Let's look at Philippians 4, 8, whatsoever things are honest or pure or just or good report, uh, 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 speak of these things. If there's anything of virtue or praiseworthy, think on these things. And um, uh, it reminds me uh, at the graduation commencement, they had a little speaker, a little girl who came from another country and worked in someone's home and she was like a Cinderella and it was so hard. So um, she graduated from high school, went on to college and really had no place, no home to go to. So she worked really hard on programs that built up the community. And, uh, and instead of being a victim, she, she was like heads of all these little groups that, you know, empowered and strengthened the community, good causes, good causes. And when we went to dinner that night, all of us talked about this young girl who had just graduated, who was one of the commencement speakers, how her story, because she didn't, she didn't play the victim role and she could have, but how she took lemonade or took lemons and made lemonade out of her life. And I mean, we, we talked about it on the car ride to the dinner and at the dinner table, all of us. And, and so when you hear good stories, talk about them with your children, bring up examples that you're hearing about, you know, in the newspaper or in the neighborhood, or you heard at church kind of thing. I love Proverbs 31 10. It talks about who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. And then the verses 11 through 31 give the attributes. What a virtuous woman looks like but you know look if we want particularly our daughters to be virtuous we have to mirror to them what a virtuous woman uh what how she dresses or the kind of language you know do we do we curse in front of our children or or the kind of service that we give or how we treat our neighbors or the way that we walk the talk we we worship we have a, a body of believers you know that we go and we worship god on on his holy day, we we have to mirror to them. We will be the greatest example of you know a, a virtuous woman to our daughters. Okay, we are coming down. I think um, towards the end of our class. Let's see that next slide. That there's another uh, wonderful. Oh, and and you know I have to say, um, beautiful mamas. I think some of the best examples of virtue are in holy scripture. There is is Esther there, and there is. Um, Ruth and the story of Naomi and we just finished up with Easter Holy Week and Mary Magdalene wasn't that interesting that the very first witness of the resurrected Christ was a woman 
what what kind of life did Mary Magdalene live to qualify to be? I mean, women were not witnesses to anything during that time period, but here she was chosen to be the first witness. And and what you know her who what kind of woman she must have been? And I'm telling you that. I'm always amazed. I hear so many people say that, well, there's not a lot of stories of women in Holy Scripture, but the more I'm in Scripture, I, I find so many stories of women, and, and a lot of the women are unnamed, but they're there and they're mentioned, and I find I'm, I'm inspired. So as you read the Bible, look for, you know, particularly as women, look for these, these nameless women doing amazing things and, and point them out to your daughter, daughters and, and sons. Okay, so the next slide is of Nathan Hale. I love this story of Nathan Hale. He died at 21. He looks a little bit older than 21 to me in that picture. But remember during the Revolutionary War, he was the one that was hung. He was a spy for General Washington. And he said, I only regret that I had but one life to lose for my country. Those were his last words before he was hung in, in September of 17. 76. He was a graduate of Yale University in 1773, and he um, wanted to become a Christian minister. But he, uh, uh, right out of uh, you know his his education, he was a teacher. And then the Revolutionary War began in 1775, uh, 76, and he received a letter from one of his classmates who was an officer for General Washington, and he challenged this friend challenged him to do something great. So Nathan accepted the challenge and he, he um, joined up as and he served as a lieutenant uh, in the Continental Army. And um, he was a part of a daring band of patriots that actually captured an English sailboat that was full of provisions. So he was a courageous young man. His mama and daddy did something right. So at, the, at this time in history, George Washington was desperate to know um, the British's plans for invading Manhattan Island, and they hadn't been able to get any information about this. And so he sought a spy that would penetrate the British lines along Rhode Island or Long Island. And Nathan Hale was the only volunteer. And one of his fellow officers tried to talk him out of it, like this is a death sentence. But the young Nathan Hale said, I wish to be useful and every kind of service necessary to the public good is honorable and so I'm doing this and so wouldn't you know two weeks after taking this assignment he was captured by the Queen's uh, Rangers who were uh, American loyalists and they ordered him to be hung the next morning so that evening he wrote a letter to his mother and brothers but it's been said that the British destroyed it because they didn't want anyone to know that a man could die with such firmness. He had no regrets about what was what he had done. And he asked for a Bible, but was refused it. And they marched him out and hung him on an apple tree in Rutgers Orchard, which is today downtown present in New York City on East Broadway and Market Street. And let's see the next slide. There's actually, it's kind of right where uh, City Hall is. In that Chinatown City Hall area. And there's this wonderful statue of this young boy in the middle of a little park that encompasses that City Hall area. And um, it was said uh, when he was hung um, a few months later in the gallows, he made a, a spirited speech. And he told them that they were shedding the blood of 
of the innocent and that if he had 10,000 lives, he would lay them all down if he could in the defense of his injured and bleeding country. And it was said that this uh, Nathan Hell, when any of the soldiers were sick in battle, he always visited them and prayed for him. And what a beautiful posterity that came uh, after him. Nathan Hell's nephew would go on to become the governor of Massachusetts, Massachusetts and spoke at the dedication of the battlefields right before Abraham Lincoln gave the Gettysburg Address. And Nathan Hale's grand nephew became uh, uh, a well-known author. And he talked about how we're all God's children and how, how we have uh, duties. And he said, thank God in one of his books, I came from men who were unafraid in the battle. So you can see how Nathan Hale's example truly inspired uh, his generations that came after him. And oh, what a great story that is. You could tell that story to your boys. I bet that you know, young men would especially be captivated by that Nathan Hill. And what a great thing it would be to take your children to that statue, to that area, downtown Manhattan, where Nathan Hills as a young 21 year old was hung for his country. So this story kind of reminds me of the little poem by Ralph Walder Emerson. All voluntaries, let's see the next slide. So nigh is grander to our dust, so near is God to man. When duty whispers, lo, thou must, the youth replies, I can. These are the kind of young people, children and grandchildren we want to raise up, ones that won't shrink or fade, who are not afraid in the battle, who are willing to kind of be on that front line, you know, what, what might that look like? Might that be a, you know, the, like the little, my little daughter who didn't wear her mask when everyone else in the university was wearing it. And, and, you know, we, how do we get our kids to get on that wall and say, okay, God, what, what do you, how do you want me to engage here? I'm signing up for your battalion. So while I was in Utah, me and my husband, let's see that next slide. My oldest daughter, who's 28, was asked to attend a women's conference of Christian women. And so we all went to hear, uh, so we were early there, but I think there was 3000 people that she spoke to. She spoke on a panel and there, there's Frankie, my 25 year old, Kayla, the 28 year old in little cheetah dress. And then our little graduate there, their little pigtails and my husband and I, we're a colorful family. If any of you haven't seen a picture of my husband, I'm sure you have. But so let's see the next slide. So Kayla was given the assignment to speak about why she stays with God, why she stays in faith at a time when so many millennials, she's a millennial, are walking away from faith, why she stays. And she talked about, you know, the wrestle of being a godly girl in a secular world and all the influences that she feels, you know, and having to stand alone and, 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 and how she stays and, and she stays through service and through staying active in her faith and through the covenants that she's made with God. And then she read that uh, verse from um, Esther. We named one of our girls Hadassah, which is Esther's Hebrew name. So we tell that story of Esther a lot in my home. And she, she read the verse on this panel. Uh, so on the panel, there's a, a woman who's almost 80 years old in the yellow. There's the moderator in black and then a 50 year old and then Kayla who's 28. And I dare say, I, I think that Kayla Rose, she was my favorite. Now I'm just her mother, so I'm completely biased. But she read about Esther and how God said, look, for if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, meaning if you won't come forth and, and help your people, 
he said, um, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place, meaning I will deliver, uh, you know, your people in another way, if you will, will not. But then he warns Esther, but thou, but you and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And no one will know it. Who knows whether thou art come to the kingdom for a time such as this. And she gave this her reason why she stays because she knows that if she does not stay close to God and in faith, that it will impact her household, her rising generation, her children will be impacted. If she doesn't take this time, what God's kingdom will go on with or without us. And, but she said, this is my time to stand for God. And I dare say all of you women on this call tonight, feel that call of Esther, that you have been born for a time such as this, when things are difficult, the world is dark, but you are willing to stand on that wall because you care that much for your rising generations that if you don't stand, what, who will your children and your grandchildren look to? Just think how, because of Nathan Hale's example, the kind of impact it had on his, you know, his and, and nephews and, and so forth. And so that is the reason, what's part of the reason why she stays is because of her future generations. And she doesn't have any children yet, but she comes from a line of believing women and she does not want to break that line. She's been blessed having a believing mother and a grandmother and a great grandmother and so um anyways let's see the next slide here so the principle number one in our five thousand yearly talks about you know the way that we're gonna know to stay strong is and and the government will stay strong and this country will stay strong and, and our relationships with our neighbors and each other will stay strong as if we stay true to, to natural law natural law is godly law. Let's see the next slide. So uh, for years, I've taught one principle a week in the family devotional. I know you think, how long is your family devotional in the morning? And, and we actually, we get really, I just have this one little girl now at home. And so we can clip through the devotional, you know, study the Bible, study a principle of liberty, uh, study a, you know, an attribute of Christ, study the newspaper. But I can't tell you. So uh, what I do is I just have her read the principle. And then I say, honey, she'll read a little maybe paragraph from the book. And obviously, this might not work so well with a three or four or five year old. But I'm telling you, by the time she was three or five, three or four, she was hearing the principles because I was teaching the older kids. So you, you'll be surprised. The 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 depth of principles you can teach even the young children but she I have her explain to me okay what what like what principle number one what does that mean and I've heard her say so many times well it means that the only way we're going to have a good government and people are going to be able to get along is if they follow God's law and God's law is found in the bible and so we have to be studying the bible and we have to make our laws based on what you know God's laws are in the bible so she you, you know I you I I like to oftentimes have the kids read the, the Bible story and then for them to tell me what it means because you, as you give away something is when you really, you know, it becomes planted in your little heart. And so this is, this is one of the reasons too, you teach these stories and these stories, particularly from the Bible, because then it helps your kids to recognize bad law when they're sitting in the classrooms. Let's see the next slide. And, uh, um, oh, this is an interesting story just the other day. So this is her little, she goes to all girls Catholic school. It's just about 20 girls in her ninth grade class. And, um, and so she told me the other day, she's like, mom, just before my religion class, 
Uh, and we love these girls because they have the same, you know, they're they're studying the, the same attributes of, of Christ and uh, God in their hearts. And, and so she feels comfortable, even though, you know, she's she's not of their uh, denomination. It doesn't even matter. They're godly girls. And she said in their religion class, they have a male, uh, Mr. Bose is the religion teacher. And somehow they got talking about transgenderism. And Mr. Bose said, there is no such thing as transgenderism. And then they had a little bit of a, a conversation about gender and how it's an essential, you know, you, you, characteristic that you were, you were made a, a daughter of God before you came to earth, you know, and kind of the pre, pre, pre-earth time and then immortality, you know, you to magnify that that gender. And then that is the gender you'll have in the afterlife. And I was just found myself thank God for a teacher that had the courage to speak truth. And all these little girls recognized. She said, no one pushed back. She said there were two girls that were, you know, just were like, well, if people want to be transgender, uh, that's okay. But no one said, no, that's not right. Well, there's all kinds of sexual orientations. And I, I think, you know, we're going to have to be intentional about the, the way we educate our children. We're blessed to have a, one. it's like one of just a handful of conservative, you know, uh, a biblically based school in Washington, D.C., but but because these girls are in um, the scripture lot, they can discern truth from error. They inherently know there's no such thing as, you know, a, a transgender person. And, and um, you know, even if, if the world is telling you there is, it's not, it's not, uh, it doesn't not come from God. So let's see the next slide. So as I teach these principles to the kids, I, for years, just read the headlines of the newspaper so that they can see is is what the world is saying acceptable? Is it consistent to what some of the principles of liberty are from the the 5,000 year leap? Is it consistent to some of the stories in the Bible that we just studied this morning? So it helps them to discern, you know, truth from error because I want them to hear from me what is right and what is wrong and what is real. I don't want them to hear it from the school teacher when I send them off because when they are now sitting in the university or uh, you know in the, in the middle school or high school or even elementary, they will know hmm, that's, that's different from what mom and dad just taught me this morning. Okay, let's see the, um, the next few slides. And in supplemental material in lesson number five, there's these little short stories of virtuous founding fathers and mothers and people throughout history and they're just delicious so even if you read one of these little stories uh you know to your children let's see the next slide some of these people I never even heard of before but the stories are are really delightful there's Martha Jefferson and Samuel Adams and let's see the next slide and then lastly, the wonderful story of Benjamin Franklin and that street lamp. And it's there's a story, um, let's see that next slide, uh, a, a, an article called Reflecting the Light of Virtue. And this is a fun story to teach your children that one night Benjamin Franklin was sit, is sitting near his little window. It was a hot evening. And he heard a man stumble in front of his house on the uneven cobblestone. And Franklin took made note of it that, look, this man stumbled because there was no light in front of my house. There should be a light 
then I'm responsible to shine out, you know, in my little area. So this misfortune could be prevented. So the next morning he goes to a lantern maker and he says, I, I need a, a huge lantern built with wide open spaces on four sides and a good strong rack so I can hang it outside my house. And, and the lantern maker, uh, he was like, what? I've never even heard of anything like that. But he said, look, okay, if you'll make it, I'll be responsible every night. I'll light the lamp and it will shine out on the street. So, you know, uh, people won't stumble along. And people uh, in the neighborhood began to see what Benjamin Franklin had done. And they thought, what, what, leave it up to Benjamin Franklin to think of a, a, a brilliant idea like that. In fact, some people caught on and, and did the same thing. And um, it, it's just a cute little story that, you know, you could say, look, you know, some people in life will talk and argue about all the problems and what's wrong. But old Ben, he just went ahead and hung that light and was about solutions. He did the right thing. And even though it wasn't required of him to have a big old lantern made and hung out in front of his house, it made the streets a little safer and a little more comfortable for those passing by. And, and you know, it's, you could you could teach your children, how can we leave a situation improved? Because we were there. And, and if we do that, look at the influence that might have on other people to do good as well. I love Benjamin Franklin. Um, let's see the next slide. He actually wrote a book called uh, The Book of Virtues. It was 13 virtues that he lived. Um, and I think a lot of these virtues are in that little virtue book that I showed you earlier that I use with my kids, but he would keep a little daily checklist. And in that purple book that you have, there's all kinds of information about the virtues that he would check off each day. You know, modern historians have done a real number to denigrate um, this golden patriot. That was his nickname back in the day. He was known as the golden patriot. And modern day historians have just made him out to be a womanizer with a bunch of illegitimate children. And they continue to peddle, you know, these lies about him. More money has been spent on Benjamin Franklin maligning his character than any other founder. He was known he was one of the forefathers, you know, the father of uh, our country, George Washington, the father of the Constitution, James Madison, the father of the uh, Revolutionary War, Samuel Adams, and the father of morality was Benjamin Franklin. All right, that's how he was viewed in, in those days. This father of morality was exemplary, exemplary, how he fostered and lived private and public morality. But and because of this, the enemies of freedom don't want you to study him or revere him. So they have perpetuated lies about his character. If you can marginalize their life, then you will marginalize their writings. And, and this is what the enemies of freedom have done with our founding fathers. So I'd really like, let's see the next slide. I'd love to recommend to you uh, this ben, the real Benjamin Franklin. It's, it's the story of his life and it's, it's in story form. I've read it to my children through the years and it really dispels a lot of the falsehoods and myths. And I've told this story before, I think recently, let's see that next slide, that my husband served as a state senator in Utah. And one time we were in the governor's mansion and the governor is a descendant of Benjamin Franklin. And he, he mentioned that and he said, well, I, I know he kind of, you know, was a ladies man and, and, and denigrated him just a little bit. And it just pierced my heart, you know, when he said that about his, his posterity, he was still trying to, you know, build him up like he was a, a good fellow, but he had to, you know, bring up some of those lies that had been perpetuated. So I went up to the governor, Governor Herbert, and I said, 
did you know that your ancestor was actually known as the golden patriot? He was known as the father of morality. And I said, I have a book I'm going to bring up to your office tomorrow that explains the real story of Benjamin Franklin. And so I did. I wrote a little hand note and, and sent, uh, took this book up to his office. He had an office in the state capitol. And um, sure enough, like a week later, he sent me a, a note thanking me for setting the record straight about his ancestor. And so, you know, it is incumbent upon us mothers and grandmothers that when we know the truth about these good men and women throughout history that, you know, we, we teach them to our children, we seek to emulate, and we even have to defend them and speak truth when they're being denigrated, that the stories and the lives of virtue that we teach our children and our grandchildren, not to mention, most importantly, our, our own personal example, of righteousness and virtue will be some of the greatest influences that you know we'll have on this next rising generation they are going to be the warriors on those front lines and we got to armor them up we got to you know teach them these principles of bravery and courage and these you know virtues of of god so that they can defend them and they will have the courage to get on that wall and to be um, on the front lines Oh, okay. Just wanted my phone is going off here. I was thinking sometimes I have this have this terrible feeling when I'm teaching and know yeah, everyone's gone. But anyways, we're we're gonna wrap up. God bless you, beautiful um women tonight for your part in stealing, you know, these these beautiful virtues into our children, these attributes of Christ. Remember, it's not hereditary. We have to continually uh, teach and we have to foster and cultivate through examples and, and your example will be the greatest influence and it will help to anchor these kids and help to build their reservoir up in their hour of need that they can pull from these virtues that have been a part of them or these stories of great men and women doing heroic things and they will be a part of the solution moving forward so that concludes our class tonight i'm going to